Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. It is so good to see you guys. Uh, You know, I know many of you are watching online, and perhaps this is the first time you've been back in the church building for a while. Isn't it great to be here in person? Huh? Wow. Well, we're going to take a look at a real familiar story, so let's ask God to be our teacher and to give us fresh insights as we look into his word. Uh, God, we're about to open your book, and thank you, God. Thank you for telling us uh, this story in the pages of scripture, and now we ask for your spirit to make it come alive to us, God. Open our hearts or ears if they're closed, God. Help us to hear from you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, My grandfather was raised in Pennsylvania, but as a young man, he moved to northern India. Uh, Grandpa Nicodem loved God, and he loved people, and he wanted to introduce people to God. So in northern India, he started a school and an orphanage, uh, a medical clinic, a church. In fact, they're all still going today. Uh, But unfortunately, my grandpa... Uh, had heart disease, and he died relatively young at age 42 in India and was buried in a grave on the side of the Himalaya Mountains. And so I never knew him. But Sue and I were traveling in India some years ago, and we said, why don't we go looking for Grandpa's gravesite? And I knew the, the village where he died, and there was a little cemetery outside the village, and so a caregiver led us in through a rusty iron gate, and uh, we started looking at the grave sites. They were arranged on tiers up the side of the hill. We decided to split up and cover more ground, and we were tearing back weeds and vines and uh, undergrowth, looking at all sorts of etchings in Hindi and names that we couldn't recognize. And about an hour and a half into the search, I suddenly heard Sue call from, oh, maybe 100 feet away, a couple tiers up. She said, I found it. I found it. And I ran to where she was, and she was standing over a grave marker, and etched in stone was the name of my grandpa, Frank Nicodem. It was an amazing experience. We had traveled thousands of miles, and we looked earnestly, and we finally found what we were looking for. When was the last time you made an intense search for something? Now, you were on a mission. You weren't going to stop looking until you found it. Maybe it was something as simple as, as car keys, or maybe you've been looking for a new job. Okay? Maybe you were looking for the, uh, the perfect wedding dress or for a doctor who could diagnose your problems. Maybe you were out searching for your runaway dog. Uh, or you were looking at a computer screen, a dating website, trying to find that perfect match. Okay? You were on a search. And you were going to continue searching until you found whatever. Now, we're celebrating Christmas Eve, so let me ask you, what are you looking for? What are you searching for this season? What do you hope to find? Okay, maybe you say, well, I'm just looking for a little Christmas nostalgia. I'd love some softly falling snow, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Michael Buble singing Silent Night in the background. You know, or maybe you're still looking, even at this late date, you're still looking for the perfect gift for a family member, Uncle Charlie or some, some friend. You know, what are you looking for? Maybe you're looking for a little peace and quiet this Christmas season. You know, a week away from Zooming with people at the office or online schoolwork. Several centuries ago, 
a French, famous French mathematician and philosopher by the name of Blaise Pascal said that we're all looking for pretty much the same thing. Mr. Pascal said we all have a God-shaped hole in our lives and we're looking for something to fill it. Now, you may be aware or not aware of this God-shaped hole, but we're all trying to fill the hole. We may fill it with our job or fill it with a boyfriend or with grandkids or a purchase of a new car. We're looking for something to fill the hole, but the, the problem is nothing other than God is big enough to fill a God-shaped hole. What are you looking for this Christmas season? Well, it seems like we're all looking for a little more God in our lives. If that's you, I want to give you three tips today for finding God or finding more of God. Three tips that come out of a familiar Christmas story. We're going to go back in time, you know, to the story of some ancient travelers who were on a search mission. It's a familiar story, and it's found in the second chapter of the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament. So if you brought a Bible with you, you could turn to Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to start right at the beginning of the chapter. Verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod heard this. He was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Now, we'll stop right there for now. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. We're, we're all looking for something to fill this God-shaped hole in our lives. So three tips from the Magi, what, you know, how they found what they were looking for and how it can aid us in our search for more of God in our lives. But before I, I get to tip one, a little background of the story. Who were these Magi and what's the deal with the star? Well, the Magi were a combination of astronomer and astrologer. Okay, they, they were astronomers in the sense that they studied, scientifically studied the night sky. They mapped out what they were looking at. Uh, but they were astrologers in the sense that they believed the stars had a message uh, for us. In fact, in ancient times, it, it was believed among many that a new star in the sky meant the arrival on planet Earth of some really significant, some really important person. So the Magi had seen such a star, new star. Now, several years ago, I went to the Adler Planetarium at Christmas time because they were doing a special, you know, scientific explanations for the, the original Bethlehem star. And they said, well, it could have been a conjunction of planets. Now, we know all about that this week, right? You go outside one night this week and look at Jupiter and Saturn as they got really close together. First time in 400 years. So maybe back then, 2,000 years ago, maybe it was a, con a conjunction of planets, or maybe it was a supernova, or maybe it was a comet. But there were problems with every scientific explanation. So I think maybe it's simplest just to believe it was a supernatural phenomenon. God put that star in the sky to guide the Magi to Jerusalem and then eventually to Bethlehem. So what can we learn from their search? As we're looking for God, looking to find more of God in our lives, looking for something to fill that God-shaped hole, three tips from the Magi. Tip number one, ask good questions. Okay, ask good questions. Now, I have seven grandchildren, and they're all very young, and so I'm regularly hearing from their moms and dads uh, amusing questions that they have been asked, okay? So my 
Little granddaughter, Ruby, she's seven years old. She asked her mom just a couple weeks ago. She said, now, uh, you say that God made me, but Layla says her mom made her. So how does that work? <laughs> Great question. How does that work? I read an online article uh, about children and questions. They say that the average child asks 73 questions a day. Some of you are saying, I got kids who ask even more than that. 73 questions. And it all starts when they're three years old and the left side of their brain begins to develop. So this is actually a good sign that they're asking questions. Uh, unfortunately, we sometimes lose that inquisitiveness as we get older. Is it because we assume we now have all the answers? Or because our lives get so busy, all the hustle and bustle, we don't have time to stop back and contemplate bigger issues, no time to wonder. You know, the Magi, according to Matthew 2, they entered Jerusalem with a question on their lips. Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star. Now, what's interesting is that nobody else in Jerusalem was asking the question. Okay, King Herod didn't even know what they were talking about, and the religious leaders who should have known better because in their Bible, our Old Testament book in Numbers 24, verse 17, it said that one day a star would announce the advent, the coming of a great leader, a ruler. But, but, but the religious leaders weren't looking up at this star and saying, well, what's going on here? The Magi wanted to know, what's behind the big star in the sky? Who does it point to? Where can we find him? What kind of a king do you think he is? We sometimes refer to the Magi as the three wise men. Well, maybe the reason they were so wise was because they asked good questions, and they were humble enough to acknowledge they had a lot to learn. Listen to me, friends. People who discover a, a soul-satisfying relationship with God are people who ask good questions. You know, how do I know God exists? What's God like? What are his attributes? Where does a relationship with God begin? Is the Bible a book I can trust to give me an accurate picture of God? What does God expect of my life? So are, are you more like the super curious magi when it comes to seeking God, or are you like the disinterested King Herod and religious leaders? I just finished a, a lovely book by a woman named Becky Pipper. Uh, Becky travels all over the world speaking, and she loves to engage people in, in conversations about God. She loves to hear the questions they're asking in their search for God. Uh, for example, a young woman she met in Eastern Europe, the daughter of atheists, uh, this young woman is a concert violinist, and she said to Becky one day, she said, you know, sometimes when I'm playing a, a piece of music on my violin, it feels like, like I'm worshiping. Where does that come from? She said, if I believe my parents, I am nothing but a random assortment of atoms. So where do I get this sense of beauty? You know, when I hear a Bach violin concerto and I'm awed by it, where does that come from? Becky said, well, funny you should ask because Mr. Bach, he signed every one of his compositions with the same three Latin words, soli deo gloria, to God alone be the glory. So Mr. Bach could tell you where this love of beautiful music comes from. It comes from God. You know, the prophet Zephaniah says that God sings over those he loves, over those who put their hope and trust in him. 
We know that on the, the night that Jesus was born, the sky over the little dusty village of Bethlehem broke open with an angel choir singing his praise. So where does beautiful music come from? Why do we appreciate beautiful music? Good question. The answer is God. Listen, friends, God has built into you a desire to know him. He wants you to ask questions. Unfortunately, that innate curiosity we had as children asking 73 questions a day, it tends to fade as we get older, at least with regard to questions about God. But if we really want to find God this Christmas, if we want more of God in our lives, the search begins with questions. If you're at the starting point, a good friend of mine named Hal, Hal wrote a book several years ago that's become a, a bestseller, almost half a million copies in print, called The God Questions. You know, is God for real? How can a good God allow suffering in this world? Do all roads lead to heaven? I mean, maybe you thought there aren't answers to questions like that, so you've given up the search. The search hasn't gained any traction. I would encourage you to reignite your search for God this Christmas season. There are answers. Ask good questions. Another favorite book of mine, it's been a New York Times bestseller, written by a pastor in New York City who's used to working with skeptics. He's written a book to answer the uh, questions that skeptics ask called The Reason for God. You might want to put it on your Christmas list. Not too late for somebody to pick that up for you. Here's the tip for finding more of God. Ask good questions. First tip, because there are answers. Tip number two. My second tip for those who want to find more of God this Christmas season, pursue Jesus. You want to find God, pursue Jesus. Now, this takes us back to the story of the Magi in Matthew chapter 2. Their, their opening question upon arriving in Jerusalem is, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? A question that was really upsetting to, to King Herod because he, he was an extremely paranoid leader who didn't want any competition for his throne. In fact, he'd already killed off one of his wives and two of his sons because he suspected they were disloyal to him. So Herod pulled together a group of Bible scholars and he said, so um, what's this about a king? And where is he supposed to be born? And the Bible scholars said, yes, Micah the prophet said in 700 BC that a great ruler would be born and he would be born in a little village five miles south of us called Jerusalem. So Herod called in the Magi and he said, I want you to go to, did I say Jerusalem? Bethlehem. He said, I want you to go to Bethlehem and I want you to look for this king, and when you found him, come back and tell me about him. Herod, of course, wanted to eliminate the competition, any rivals. This is where we pick it up now at verse 9 of Matthew 2. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Interesting side note here. Okay, you've seen manger scenes. You may have one in your front yard, or you've got a crash in your dining room. Or, you know, what, what, what composes a manger seat? You got Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, a few animals thrown in, some shepherds, and the Magi, right? 
But the fact of the matter is, the Magi didn't arrive at Christmas time. Sorry to spoil it for you, but you know, the likelihood is they came several months later because it says in the text we were just looking at, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. So Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus are now in a house, no longer in a stable. This was a culmination of a long and determined search. The Magi didn't wake up one morning and say, hey, we got nothing to do. You know, what do you say we track down that funky star in the sky? You know, take us down the road a bit, I assume. <laughs> it would take them much further than a bit down the road. Bible scholars tell us that the Magi were either from ancient Persia, modern-day Iran, or ancient Babylonia, modern-day Iraq, which means they had to travel over 400 miles to find baby Jesus across the desert. But their search was rewarded because they didn't give up until they found what they were looking for. And friend, let me tell you, this is true of a pursuit of God. You know, listen to what God says through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, verses 13 and 14. God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me. Listen, with all your heart, I will be found by you. With all your heart. See, God's looking for some earnestness on our part, some indication that we really, really, really want to find him. Maybe you've wondered about God, but we're not talking about wonder. We're talking about a search, a relentless search to connect with God. The Magi searched until they found him, 400 miles and across a desert. You say, what does their search for baby Jesus have to do with my search for God, my desire to find more of God? Well, simply this, Jesus is the physical manifestation of the invisible God. So when, when you find Jesus, you get God. John chapter 1, verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So if you're looking for God, if you'd like to find a little more God in your life this Christmas, pursue Jesus. Now, what will motivate you to stick at this pursuit? What will motivate you to be as relentless as the Magi were? Maybe your search will be motivated by loneliness. You know, Christmas time, believe it or not, is a time when many people experience loneliness. And it stands to reason we've been created in the image of a God who, who made us for fellowship with him, a relationship with him. And so you could have all the friends in the world. You could be surrounded by family. But if you're not experiencing an intimate relationship with God, there will be a cosmic sense of loneliness in your life. Or, or maybe it's not loneliness that propels your search. Maybe it's a crisis. Maybe right now you're undergoing a marriage crisis or a financial crisis, a health crisis, a job crisis. It's when we hit crisis that we suddenly find our resources aren't enough to meet the need. We need something from outside ourselves. Pursue Jesus. Maybe you'll be driven to pursue Jesus by a sense of guilt. You know, we, we all know that we've failed. We've failed God and others and ourselves in small ways and large ways. And we, we often think, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a clean slate, to have all that washed away, to be able to hit a reset button and start over fresh at the beginning of a day? 
Pursue Jesus. Maybe you're at the other end of the spectrum. Life is great for you. You're experiencing wonderful success. But in the midst of it, there seems to be a sense of purpose missing. You feel like you're, you're stuck in the thick of thin things. Okay, You don't have a sense of mission in life. Something to get you up in the morning. Pursue Jesus. Now, I'll tell you what it was from Mike Lindell. Okay, Mike is the founder and the CEO of MyPillow. Have you ever seen their, their infomercials? It seems like they're always on. The, the dude who's always hugging, hugging the pillow. Uh, I cannot get their jingle out of my mind. It drives me crazy. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, try MyPillow.com. Yeah, the previous service, I had like 15 people singing that with me. <laughs> Mike is a young man. He found that when he had to escape his problems in life, his troubles, he had two routes he would take, gambling and drugs. And the trouble was, once he started, he couldn't stop. He was an addict. And he tried to break his addictions. He tried rehabs. No luck. He thought that maybe when he experienced success and he made his first million, but no, he made millions of dollars through my pillow, and he was still an addict, destroying his life. He thought maybe relationships would help, but he was in and out of one relationship after another. Until suddenly it occurred to him, you know, when I go to AA, they tell me I need to seek a higher power. Maybe that higher power is Jesus. He pursued Jesus. He found Jesus. Jesus broke the addictions. Jesus rescued Mike Lindell. He's written about it in his autobiography I recently finished called What Are the Odds from Crack Addict to CEO? Yeah, what are the odds that a crack addict becomes a CEO of a successful company? You know, when Jesus changes your life, <laughs> goodness knows what he has in store for you. Pursue Jesus. If you want more of God this Christmas, pursue Jesus. And don't stop pursuing him until you find him. And then even after you've found, listen, even after you've found him, don't stop pursuing Jesus every day. You know, some Christ followers feel like the search is over once they found Jesus. Okay, the box is checked off. That's it. But, but let me tell you something. It's kind of like a good marriage. I know couples that have been married for years, decades, and their marriages are still vibrant and fresh, and it's because they've never stopped pursuing each other. And I know couples that have been married for some time, and their marriages are lifeless and are boring and are stale, and it's because somewhere along the line, they lost interest in each other. They're no longer in hot pursuit. It's kind of like that in terms of a relationship with Christ. Maybe you've been a Christ follower for years, but the relationship is stale, and it's because you haven't been pursuing Jesus. You haven't been worshiping him on the weekends with other believers. You, you haven't been reading his word. You haven't been rolling up your sleeves and finding ways to serve him in this world. You haven't been telling others the good news about who he is. So you got a God-shaped hole in your life that only God can fill, and you know that but you haven't been filling it with Jesus. You know, do what the Magi did. Pursue Christ. Pursue Jesus with all your heart. One last tip from these guys. Surrender your life. And this takes us to the last part of their story. Matthew 2, picking it up in verse 11. 
It says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, I want you to see in the closing part of the story all the, the references to the kingship of Jesus. That seems to be a theme here. Uh, first indicator is that the search takes the Magi to Bethlehem. So Bethlehem was this insignificant village five miles south of Jerusalem, but it also happened to be the birth, birthplace of Israel's most illustrious king, King David. And so it had a bit of a reputation. And in 700 BC, the, the prophet Micah had said, a ruler even greater than David is going to come out of this small village. So just the fact that the Magi arrived in Bethlehem points to the kingliness of this baby they encounter. You know, another indicator is the posture they adopt. When they see Jesus, what do they do? They drop to their knees, they bow, they worship him. I just finished for the uh, second or third time watching the HBO miniseries about John Adams uh, based on the book by David McCullough. And back at the time of the Revolutionary War, Mr. Adams was sent by the Colonial Congress to France to King Louis XVI to get some help. Now, Mr. Adams had never been in the presence of a king before. He didn't know what the protocol was, didn't know what to do. And so he was coached ahead of time. You do a lot of bowing. You know, when you step into the door, you bow. When you get halfway to him, you bow. When you get up to the throne, you bow. When you, you're done and you're walking out, you're bowing as you go. Isn't it interesting? Nobody told the Magi what to do when they saw baby Jesus, but instinctively they hit their knees. It was like they knew they were coming into the presence of a great king. Just another indicator of his kingliness has to do with the gifts that they brought, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, for centuries, a lot of people have felt there must have been three magi because there were three gifts, but the Bible doesn't say. It could have been five magi, seven magi, dozen magi happening to bring three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, we look at the gifts and we say, these are gifts fit for a king. Start with gold. Kings are known for their opulence, their wealth, their majesty. Uh, some Bible scholars have taken it a step further and they've said, well, what about the other gifts? Maybe, maybe frankincense points to the deity of Christ because incense was constantly burned in the temple where God was worshiped. And, and maybe myrrh points to Jesus' eventual death on the cross because myrrh was a fragrant substance that was used to embalm bodies back then. But most Bible scholars feel that would be you know, reading a little too much into gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What we do know for certain is this. They were expensive gifts. They were gifts fit for a king. I mean, it wasn't like what you typically bring to your baby shower these days. They didn't bring a, a pack and play, a few onesie outfits, and a, 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 a gift card for bye-bye baby. Some of you are wondering, how do you know that stuff? <laughs> you know, they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh, gifts for a king. Gifts for a king. So if we hope to discover a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we need to understand who Jesus is who we're dealing with. You know, he is not just a little baby in Bethlehem that gives us a warm sentimental feelings once a year as we hold a candle and sing Silent Night. 
He is not just a great moral teacher who who serves as an example, a role model for us. He's even more, listen, he's even more than a sacrifice who hangs on a cross bearing the penalty for our sins. That is awesome, but he's more. He's the king of the universe. He's the king of kings. And so we bow down before him, surrendering our lives and pledging our allegiance. It's the only fitting response. This past fall, I had the privilege of interviewing Daryl Strawberry on this platform at one of our Inspiring Stories weekends. Uh, Daryl, if you know your baseball history back in 1983, he was National League Rookie of the Year, and several years later in 1986, he led the New York Mets to the World Series. Uh, They were 21 and a half games ahead of the second place team in their division, and they went on to win the World Series against the Boston Red Sox. So on the outside, great success. But his life was a mess. And as I interviewed him, he told the story of how his dad had abandoned the the family when he was just a a young boy. And so when he gained his fame, he didn't know how to handle it. He didn't have a, a, a dad giving him wise counsel. And so he turned to drugs and he turned to womanizing and uh, as a result he was in one rehab after another and in one broken relationship after another, much like Mike Lindell of my pillow. Now, he found Jesus along the way. In fact, he found Jesus several times. But it never stuck. It changed him temporarily but not permanently. He was soon back to the old Daryl. What was the problem? Daryl says, the problem was I came to Jesus for forgiveness and for comfort and for blessings, but I didn't come to him as king. I didn't come to give up the throne of my life and say, okay, I'm getting off the throne. You take the throne. You be the king. And then the day came when Daryl finally understood and surrendered his life fully to Christ and the the change was permanent the transformation was unbelievable in fact if you want to see a great 90 minute documentary go to ESPN and look for the one on Daryl Strawberry and the amazing transformation that's taken shape in his life let me ask you a question have you ever surrendered yourself to Jesus as king You you may believe the Christmas story. You may even believe the Good Friday Easter story that Jesus died on the cross and was raised again. But have you ever surrendered your life to him? Around Christ Community Church, we say, you know, surrender begins with a, a prayer, telling God what's on your heart. And there are three important words in a surrender prayer. And by the way, we often think of this prayer as something for an, uh, you know, an outsider, someone who's never prayed this prayer before. And I believe there are some of you in that category this Christmas Eve at our service. We're going to pray this prayer in just a few moments. But I want to add that it's not just for newbies. Even if you've been a Christ follower for some time, it's possible that the relationship is not what it should be. And a new, fresh surrender, a recommitment is in order. So the three important words in the surrender prayer are for sorry. And it's not just that you're sorry for specific sins, though you are, and you're sorry for what they've done to destroy your own life and hurt the people around you, but you're also sorry because you recognize that you have blown off the counsel, the leadership of the all-wise and loving God. And so there's no other thing to say when you come before him than, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. The second important word is the word thanks. What are you thanking him for? 
Well, you're thanking him because there, there are some serious repercussions for our sin, for going our way instead of God's way. When we do that, when we pull apart from God, disconnect from God, do our own thing, be our own king or queen, the result is death. Death because when you disconnect from the giver of life, the source of life, the consequence is death. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, verse 23 says. And it begins as spiritual death on the inside. It's a broken relationship with God and continues on to become physical death at the end of this life, eternal death in the world to come. We are in deep weeds and we need help. And help came in the form of a savior that God sent that first Christmas. He sent his son. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And he grew up living a perfect life to lay down his life on a cross. To take the death we deserve to die. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died the death. You and I deserve to die. For our rebelliousness, our going our way instead of God's way, our disconnecting from life. And so thank you is thank you for coming to earth. Thank you for giving your life for me on the cross. Thank you for rising from the dead so that you could now offer me forgiveness and new life. Have you ever said thank you to God? Personally, this is my thank you for what you've done for me. So it's sorry and it's thanks. And the third word is, is please. This is the, the word of invitation. This is when, when you look Jesus in the eye and you say, please come into my life and be my king. You know, please, I'm getting off the throne. Would you take the throne of, of my life? Would you become my king? Would you please help me to understand and to follow your word? Would you give me a group of people like those who gather at Christ Community Church who I could follow along with in following you? Please, please. I want to pray that prayer with you right now. There is no better prayer to pray on Christmas Eve than the prayer of surrender. Would you, would you bow your heads with me? And I'm going to let you do most of the praying. I'm going to give you a little space here. We're going to pray the surrender prayer. Again, whether you've never prayed this prayer before, and some of you are saying, I don't think I've ever prayed this. Good, this will be the first time. Or if you've been a Christ follower for years, but you recognize, you know, I've not been in hot pursuit of Jesus for some time. Well, surrender afresh, would you? Okay, the first word is what? Sorry. Would you say sorry right now from your heart? Whether there are specific sins you want to name or you just want to say sorry for taking up the throne that you should be sitting on. Sorry for being my own king. Sorry for this rebellious spirit going my way instead of your way. Tell him in your own words how sorry you are. And the second word is thanks. Maybe you know the details of the story, but you, you've never realized that you're part of the story. He did this for you. He came to earth for you. He died on a cross for you. He rose again and offers you forgiveness and new life. Would you tell him thanks in your own words, like you mean it, from a sincere heart? Tell him thanks. And the third word, after you've prayed sorry and thanks, is please. 
invite him into your life in all his fullness as the king, as the one who has the right to reign. Humble yourself before him. Has your pride gotten in the way of allowing Jesus to lead your life? Tell him, please, please become my king or become my king again. I've, I've wandered from the path of your kingship. Please give me a, a new or a fresh love for your word. Please help me to understand it and to want to follow you. Please, Jesus. Lord God, your word teaches that no one comes to you unless you draw them. And so I recognize in this quiet moment, if we have prayed prayers of surrender, it's not because we're such great people, we figured it out and we're doing the right thing. It's because you, you have wooed us. You have drawn us to yourself. You have given us a desire to have more of you in our lives. And that's what we want this Christmas season. We want more of you. We pray in your holy name. Amen.